We have been in a series on the mission and the story of God. And I, I was telling Jay a minute ago that like every week when we've come into this, and I've loved, I love doing this, I love talking about the story of God in scripture. But every week as we've come to this list, uh, Keegan, you can go ahead and show that. As we've gone through this list of different events in the story of God, and I've come to each one of them and gone, what madness is it that I'm gonna try to cover any one of these in a single day, right? Like crazy to think about we're gonna cover the Exodus in a single day. Crazy to think about we're gonna cover the exile in a single day. That's like a third of the Bible, right? And I have to say, um, it is absolute madness now that we've come to the seventh part of this story to, to even think that we can talk about the place of the Messiah and adequately say anything close to everything that we want to say. But it is my great joy today to simply meet you in this place and talk about the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the story about what he is doing, the, the way that he fits into that long arc of what God has been at work doing in the world. We are finally, we are finally at the place where we get to say, now let's talk about Jesus. Now the truth is, we've been talking about Jesus the whole time because we can't really think about the creation of God's world without thinking about what it is for Jesus to be the one that in whom all things are created and in whom all things in the creative world are held together. We can't think about the corruption of God's, of God's creation without thinking about the role that Jesus, the Messiah, will have in bringing that into repair. A covenant, Exodus, how can we think about the, the, the idea that God is a deliverer? Remember when we talked about that with the Exodus story? God is a deliverer. And of course we know that in Jesus that comes to be fully known. The kingdom of God is ruled by King Jesus. The exile brings about and sharpens a deepening hope in what the Messiah will do to redeem his people and make them a light of the world. We've been talking about Jesus the whole time. But in a special way today, in a distinct way, I want to think about, in a pure form, the good news of Jesus. Because without that good news, and we say that's gospel, without that good news, there ain't a one of us here this morning, right? We are a people who are bound together, who are, our whole origination comes from the good news of Jesus. It is the center of who we are. It is the foundation of our community and the identity that we have in God. It's where we meet this whole story, is through the good news of Jesus. So if you would, I want to, I mean, again, like I, it's madness to think that we can cover all of this in any one week, right? But I want to capture two pieces 
of the good news of Jesus today. Just sort of mantras, way of thinking about what it is that Jesus finally reveals to us that are incredibly important. And the first one is this. God is with us. Now, that is an absolute proclamation of the gospel, the good news. That is good news because part of what is happening in the story of Jesus is we have the affirmation that God has not, despite all of the brokenness and despite all of the mess and the, and the, of the horrible things that happen in our world, despite the effects of sin in our world, God has not abandoned us. Turn with me to the gospel of Matthew. I want to show you how Matthew specifically uh, captures this word that I think is so important for us. In Matthew, and of course we're coming up in the Advent season very soon, Christmas season. And when we come to those places, one of those texts that shows up all of the time is this story of the, of the birth of the Messiah. And Matthew captures this in some beautiful language. Read with me in verses 18 uh, through the end of the chapter of chap Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means... God is with us. God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Matthew here at the onset of the gospel is framing what every, everything else that's going to take place in his story. A story of how God is present, how God has chosen not to abandon creation, but has chosen to be present in creation. In the person of Jesus, we have this definite sign of God's presence with us. Now, not to say that God is only with us when the body of Jesus was present in, in first century Palestine, Israel, a long, long time ago. But rather, it's a sign that God is always with us. And if you're a little skeptical of that, I want you to look at how the Gospel of Matthew ends. Turn to the end of the, end of the book, Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, we have this text. It's a great harvest month text for us, the Great Commission. In the Great, Com uh, the great Commission that we, we know where Jesus sends his disciples out, and it, says like, it goes like this in verse 16 and following of Matthew 28. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And that's a good commission. That's a, that's a pretty good commission. But it needs the next line, doesn't it? And the way that the gospel of Matthew ends is not make sure you go and do all my work. It's go make disciples and baptize and teach teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then it ends with this. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The gospel begins with the word that Jesus is God with us. And the gospel of Matthew ends with the affirmation that Jesus remains with us. Even as he moves off, as he goes away, right? He still remains with us. There's no sending of the church away from Jesus. It is go and I am going with you. Jesus does not say, go away from me. He says, come with me. And that is the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus is that God is with us. And all of the things that Matthew tells between, and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, and Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Everything that happens in those chapters between there, every word of teaching that Jesus offered on the Sermon on the Mount that we spent this summer, everything that he says to relieve somebody of their, um, their, their illness or the sickness or their oppression by an evil spirit, every healing or miracle act that he does, Every word of correction and rebuke he offers to people in power who are abusing the people that they should have been serving. Everything that Jesus does in the whole story of the gospel is a sign of God's presence with his people. The good news of Jesus is that God is with us. God is with us in the beginning, God is with us in the present, and God will be with us always and forever. And that's the good news of Jesus. And it's good news for people who are tempted to think sometimes that God has left us alone. God has gotten tired of us or decided he didn't like us or been angry because of our sin and our brokenness, that God has in the end abandoned us after all. And it's tempting to think that. But the gospel of Jesus says no. No, the truth is 
that God is with us. And there is nothing so bad, nothing so horrible, nothing that we can do to God that will keep him from being present with us. Even through the story of the crucifixion, the end of the story, the last word is that God is still with us, even though we tried to kill him. So that's the first part. The good news of Jesus, the first facet that I want to hold today is that God is with us. But God is with us could be a message that could hold, instead of incredible hope and joy, could hold terror and fear. But the second part of the gospel that I want to point towards is that not only is God with us, God is for us. And that's the word in, of Jesus too, right? The New Testament, we don't, we've talked about this in my Wednesday night class, but like it doesn't come to us. It's not bound in your Bible in the order that we received it, okay? Uh, the, 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 we think that the letters were probably written first. The letters are like the earliest pieces that we have. And then later on, um, they, they captured as the, the apostles were kind of coming to the ends of their lives. They, they captured what was in what the stories that they knew and wrote those down so that the next generation of believers could have them. Probably one of the earliest books that we have, not the earliest, but one of the earliest is the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians... Because we think it's written for, before the gospel. You guys follow me on this? I know I'm getting kind of nerdy. Um, because it's written before the gospels, we have a quotation in this letter that is probably the first recorded thing that we have from the, word, from the mouth of Jesus. You with me? So when 1 Corinthians says, here is something that Jesus said, in terms of you know, chronology, that's our first recorded instance of a word about Jesus. You with me so far? Would you like to know what it is? Do you already know what it is? Okay. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And what we think is probably the first recorded piece of uh, gospel story something that happened in the life of Jesus is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it comes when Paul is talking to the church at Corinth about the Lord's Supper, which we just shared and took together. And he had some issues with the way that that church was taking the supper. They seemed to be doing it in a way that kind of boxed some people out of it and uh, seemed to enforce their social divisions rather than enforcing their unity. And so he rebukes them of that. And then he finally comes to this place. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following, we have a little bit of a piece of a story that is probably our first recorded bit of gospel. Okay? And it goes like this. For I receive from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. This is my body that is for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to just think about that and hold that for a second. There are lots of ways of thinking about what the work of the Messiah, the work of Jesus is in the way that we are redeemed. There are a lot of uh, theories about this, the way that we think it. And you can see in the New Testament a lot of different reflections about what it meant for Jesus to die on the cross. You can say it in a lot of, you know, you put a lot of theology around it, okay? And they're, they're trying to think of different metaphors and different way, analogies by which we can understand what happened on the cross. And I'll tell you, they make my head hurt a little bit. Because I think trying to figure out exactly, exactly and precisely what the cross means and narrow it down to a single definition I think is a profoundly tricky thing to do. And in fact, I don't even know it's what the early New Testament writers were trying to do. They seem to be taking an experience of something that they knew was so profound that it couldn't be boiled down to a simple saying or maxim. If it could be, God would have just given us that. But instead, what God gave us is a profound uh, symbol, a profound human experience. Jesus crucified. You can take it and you can run with it in all kinds of different ways, right? You can think about it as a way that Christ takes the worst of human sin and embraces it in his own body as a way of, of showing that he can overcome, you know, the worst punch that humanity could throw to him. You can see it as a way of uh, Jesus showing that he has solidarity with those who suffer, which is to say all of us and a way of showing that he is one with those who are undergoing deep, deep pain and abandonment themselves. You can say it has something to show about what it means to live in sacrifice to God and to other people. You can frame that in a thousand different ways. But the one that that frankly for me is the most meaningful and the most resilient in my life, that stands up as a core conviction, and I, I am beyond abandoning this one, is this. Whatever else it means, the cross is ultimately a sign that Jesus is for us. The body was broken for us. I think that's the affirmation of the early Christian writers who like, in, uh, like what Paul passes on here in, Cor in the Corinthian letter uh, seem to always come back to say something like that. In the letter of 1 John in chapter 3, verse 16, which makes it easy to remember, we have this. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. 
Now John, of course, of the experience of those who somehow knew that in the moment that it was happening, Jesus was laying down his life in a very literal way for them. The gospel of John goes to great lengths to show how when Jesus was crucified, he was really taking something that endangered his his friends, his disciples. So that Jesus himself says in John chapter 15 that greater love has no one than this, than he what? lay down his life for his friends. And John tells the story about how when they were gathered in the, in, the, in the garden, Jesus stands up and makes sure that those who have come to arrest him, he stands up and says, you've just come for me. Make sure that all of these go free. That's the way John, look, look in the gospel of John and read his crucifixion story. And you'll see that he's very clear that Jesus courageously makes sure that his disciples Get out of the way. John knew in a very literal way that Jesus' acts were for the saving of his life. Jesus' acts, as John reflected on it later, weren't just for the saving of those disciples' lives in that moment, but he and the other disciples, they came to realize more and more that what had happened on the cross was a sign that God was for uh, for everyone, not just for those 11 disciples, but God was working to somehow mysteriously save the lives of all of humanity in that action. I am sometimes confounded by the mystery of what exactly is happening in the crucifixion of Jesus, but I know down in my soul that whatever else I might say about it, somehow Jesus was crucified for my sake. It was for us. These two things to me are at the heart of the gospel. That God is with us, but not in a way to strike against us. God is with us and he is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us, right? And this word, this this is what I see at this point of the story. That maybe perhaps earlier, It was unclear about how God was going to interact with creation. It was unclear about what he was ultimately going to do with his people. But when we come to the part of the story where the Messiah takes the stage, we can see definitively in a no-going-back sort of way that God is with us and will be with us, that he is for us and he will be for us that it is his absolute intention to save us and be present with us. This is the beginning of the gospel and it's the end of the gospel. And for me, it is the beginning and the end of everything that it means to be Jesus' disciple. Not to just accept some teachings of a person that lived long ago or to read some interesting stories, to perform some rituals that maybe make God happy. But to me, 
following Jesus together as a community, what it really comes down to is this. We're living out of the conviction that God is with us and that the God that is with us profoundly loves us and intends nothing but our well-being and flourishing and thriving. Listen, this morning, I'm speaking to the disciples of Jesus so far today. I'm thinking about the things that we share, that we believe in this gospel. But if you're in a place where you've still been on a fence, you've been thinking about whether or not you want to jump in on this life or not. And you know what? Being a part of the Christian church, being a part of the community, it has its ups and downs, okay? Sometimes we argue with each other. Sometimes we have parties, okay? You never know what you're going to get. Some days you get a boring business meeting, and some days you show up at a men's lunch thing, and James Matters has cooked profoundly good jambalaya, okay? James, and I appreciate that so much, but I can't eat like that every day, okay? I mean, sometimes we just, sometimes we laugh and we have a ball together and sometimes we mean to each other because we're people, all right? We try to do it not as much, but you never know. We don't do this thing because it's fun. We don't do this thing because it's just a really hip group of people to be parties with, all right? We don't do this thing because it lines up with our political convictions, We don't do this thing just because, you know, we think it's good for the culture. The reason that we're bound together is in the conviction that God is with us and that God ultimately loves us and is for us. My friends, if you're in a place where you're thinking about signing on to it, I wouldn't want to try to sell it on any of the other stuff. I wouldn't want to try to sell it on the basis of the fun that we're going to have at the pumpkin patch this afternoon or trunk or treat next, after, next weekend. I wouldn't try to sell it on the, just the good kind of work that we try to do in our community or even just the like, niceness of our fellowship, like we're some kind of country club that you can make some nice social networking with. What I would tell you is to come and follow Jesus with us because Jesus, the Messiah, is still alive and present and with us. And that the Jesus who is with us profoundly loves you more deeply than anyone you have ever known. And he loves you in such a way that you may know not only that he is with you now, but you may know that he will never abandon you. So come. Come. And come when we have jambalaya and come when we go to the pumpkin patch and come when we have awkward small groups and nobody really wants to talk. Come in the classes that are sometimes really great and sometimes kind of flat. Come when we have Folgers coffee. Come on, we have nice donuts. All of that stuff is just extra, man. Come, come to the Messiah 
Jesus. Come follow him with us. Live in the joy of what it means to live in a good, loving God who is present always with us. And let's share that word with the rest of the world. Let's stand and sing together.